0: Welcome to the Journey to the Cross podcast. This particular part of the podcast is a collection of conversations recorded for Lent discussing the six themes of repentance, humility, suffering, lament, sacrifice, and death. We hope these conversations help you to better engage in the daily liturgical elements of the podcast as you seek to contemplate Christ's work on the cross. Today we'll be hearing from Will Walker, Todd Steumann, and Karen Yang. I'm Dorothy Bennett and I'm excited to talk with you all more about death and its place in the Christian life. It's very morbid to think about death as a as a practice or to take time to contemplate it. What do you think is the best way for us to approach this and, and to meditate on death?
1: I think we start with considering death the way the Bible talks about it. The Bible calls death our our great enemy. And the reason why death is an enemy primarily is because it separates what what God has joined together. Genesis two verse seven is a foundational creation verse. We've talked about it already in this podcast. Genesis two, seven says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground formed his body and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life he breathed his spirit into him and the man became a living being and so ever since then human beings are a union of body and spirit body and soul mm-hmm. there's a material part of us and immaterial part of us and those are joined together in union and death is our enemy because it tears that union apart. I read uh read something this week that so powerfully captures this. I was, wanted to share it. It's from a an Anglican theologian. He says from the garden eastward in Eden to the gates of the new city death is that which dogs the steps of Adam's sons, mm. hunting and haunting the children of dust. Gloriously fashioned bodies animated by the Spirit is what makes up the essence of humanity. Death strikes a blow at the heart of that union, clawing at the integral fabric of what it means to be human, tearing asunder what God has joined together. Death is a dislocation, it's a separation of body and soul. Death is a breaking, a fissure in the bedrock of creation. Death comes with a scythe in hand. Severing the golden bond between flesh and spirit, tearing asunder the wholeness of humanity. And on these grounds, it's right and proper to think of death as a foe, as our first and final enemy. And I read that and thought, oh. wow, I wish I had written that. Yeah. Uh, but what he's saying is, is that death separates us from ourselves, right? it separates body from spirit, body from soul, and it also separates us from the ones we love. From others, And that's been the case since the garden, since Genesis 3, when sin brought death into the world. And so Isaiah, in Isaiah 25, calls death this covering that's cast over all peoples. It's this veil spread over all nations. It's like a dark shroud. But as Christians, we know that's not the end of the story. And so when we think about death, we don't stop there because we know that through a death came our redemption. We know that on the other side of death is resurrection which I'm sure we're going to get to, but that's a beginning point to, to think about death as our enemy, as a separator.
2: As you were talking about the Genesis story, it strikes me that in creation, there is this life and there is no death. Mm-hmm. And, and But there is a warning about it. God says, you can eat, eat of all the trees in the garden, except for the one in the middle. If you eat of it, you will surely die. And there's mm-hmm. this first mention of death. And then the, the twisting deception of the serpent is to say, no, you will not surely die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's twisting this promise or warning about death. And then sure enough, when they eat, there is this death. There's a separation. They're separated from God. They end up, there's a separation of their relationship and marriage and the way that they're blaming each other. So there's this like spiritual relational death that they experience and shame and exposure. And then there's the inevitable physical death to come. And then you just start following the Genesis narrative. The next story is Cain killing Abel. And the next story after that is so much evil on the earth that God says, I'm going to blot out man Mm -hmm. from the face of the earth. And so death just takes over the narrative when sin enters the world. Of course, all of that then leads us to Jesus. The wages of sin is death, Paul says, and Jesus paid those wages. At the right time, Romans 5 said, Christ died for the ungodly. And so he takes our place in all of these things in the Genesis narrative. He is shamefully exposed naked on the cross. He's blotted out by the wrath of God. Uh, He did all these things. He died for us in our place.
3: When I think about death, I think in our modern times, number one, we don't like the concept of it. We wanna ignore it. We don't wanna see it. And I think there's something that is very powerful when we really truly enter into the experience of death. I, I think of how oftentimes I imagine in olden times, you know, when someone dies, we hear stories and in different cultures that's still the case today. Just the wailing, the massive mm-hmm. like grief that is accepted. It's it's part of the tragedy of losing a life. And when I think about my experiences of death. Um, here in America, in our culture, oftentimes is very—I I hate to say—the sanitize, mm-hmm. right? You don't see the body mm-hmm. necessarily. Obviously, you want to honor the memory of the person, but I—I don't think, unless you're in a field such as the medical field, um, you know, where you're rescuing people, you know, on the verge of death, I don't mm-hmm. think we see that. And what we see is always a TV version of it mm-hmm. or something on the media. And I think that distance really does us a disservice. When you were talking earlier, Todd, about death, I, I keep thinking of instances where I've I've seen the life go out, I have had the opportunity to walk by the bed of one of our neighbors at Community First as he was passing. Mm. And to see the difference of what he was like breathing alive, even in the moments before, to right. the fact that his body is no longer yeah there's no more spirit there, you know it's it's tragic, and so I think there's a loss for us oftentimes because we of the fact that we're so fearful of death that we actually can't come near it mm-hmm. and I think this journey of to the cross is. Jesus' invitation to us to come near mm-hmm. to death because we can't experience what real life is if we aren't willing to come near to mm-hmm. it. You know, As a Christian, we, we, we love to talk about resurrection, but it's only as significant as we can see the deep, deep tragedy mm-hmm. of what death is.
0: I love what you're saying because in in your part, you're saying that our separation is very fake because we don't have a handle on the situation. We're just avoiding grappling with the topic and that to enter in and, and grapple with the topic is actually to see a lot of the hope um, and Christ is calling us to that. Thinking of that, you're saying that there is a benefit for us entering in and actually going through the morning. What, what is that benefit as you think about it?
3: When I think about loss and when I've been close to it and really enter into the recognition and the grieving of it, it ultimately speaks to the value of the individual, the value of that life that God, as Todd said, he himself breathed into humankind. You know, the image of God, the preciousness that's implanted in every single human being is there, and so to enter into the grief in a sense is to acknowledge the preciousness of that human because he was made in God's image, and I think the distance that we create actually makes us less sensitive to what God has placed the value of human beings, and um, and ultimately as we think about this further down, it's the value of Jesus dying as a man for us to look at that um, the distance I think reduces that value mm. were you there when they crucified my lord were you there when they crucified my lord Oh. Trumble, trumble, trumble were you there when they crucified my
1: lord i think there's there's value in considering our own mortality because it helps us see life the way it is uh, that, that, to be honest about death to be to consider it to to consider our own frailty like karen was saying that the human race uh, we, tries to escape death, avoid death, ignore it, preempt it, gloss over it, hide it, but, but that doesn't make it go away, that death is a reality for all of us. You know, we're, we are one day closer to death today than we were yesterday. I read somewhere in an article a number of years ago that from about age 30, our bodies begin powering down. And I was like, man, why you got to say it like that? <laughs> we're, we're, we're powering down. We're headed toward it. And mm. you know, Psalm 90 is always, to me, a wonderful place to meditate on. So Psalm 90 says the years of our life are 70 or, or, or even by reason of strength, 80. So maybe we get 70 years, 80 years, maybe longer. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. And then he says, so teach us to number our days, Lord, that we may get a heart of wisdom. And so. Wisdom says, I know I'm not going to live forever. Uh, Wisdom says, I know I need to attach myself to someone who does live forever. Meditating on our own mortality is actually quite healthy
0: Mm -hmm.
1: to live a wise life.
2: Makes me think of Ecclesiastes 7. I love this verse. He says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of faith, the heart is made glad." I think this speaks to what you were talking about, Karen. We're just, we're we're distanced from death and we don't wanna go to the house of mourning. I wanna go to the party more than I wanna go to the funeral. (laughs) Given my own, you know, if that's what I'm gonna do on a Saturday, yeah, I'll go to the party every time. And, And sometimes partying is good. There's a place for the party. But if I'm always going to the party, if that's always my choice, is to move away from mourning and grieving and death and sadness and always prefer merriment, that's a form of escape. That's a form of me trying to detach from the reality of sin and death in the world. And when I do that, it, it, it shallows my soul. I don't become a person of death. I'm not in touch with the things that make life substantive. You
3: know, if I'm always going to parties at some point that gets old, it serves more as a distraction than anything. But when I go to the house of mourning, there's something beautiful that comes out of it is that recognition of the value of life and the brevity of time that we have on this earth, 70, 80, if we're strong, it actually infuses gratitude. It infuses a sense of gratitude, like, oh, wow, I am taking this next breath. How will I steward this next breath? And so when I go to those parties, I'm much more able to actually lay a hold of how precious the moments of joys are in light of my death, in light of the hard things. It's not just, oh, this is just something I'm going to. I'm like, oh, thank God I am alive. I mean, with people that I enjoy, I can celebrate. This is awesome. Yeah. And it calibrates me in life. It calibrates me because if all I have are quote unquote happy moments, I think of it as an amplitude, you know, like they a, lose their value. They yeah. lose their value. The depth, the substance really comes in the breath and the depth of experience that we have. And to cut off or avoid pain, suffering, death. Mm-hmm actually limits us and prevents us for the joy that God has created us for ultimately.
2: Well, this is like the whole purpose of Lent, right? Mm-hmm. Because we don't normally think about any of these themes. Suffering, lament, sacrifice. That's not like our normal day-to-day. So to be, you know, forced, quote unquote, into the practice of meditating and thinking about these things, the reason we're doing that is so that we can appreciate anew the mm-hmm. joy and the celebration of Easter Sunday, you know, it, that thing that you're talking about really is just the whole purpose of this season of Lent.
0: We started off with this is a potentially morbid subject and in the conversation we've recalibrated it as it is also something very hopeful and necessary to draw near to. Something that is on my mind to talk about just as we're discussing Christ defeating the great enemy of death that, as you said, hunts and haunts us. It's very beautiful. Why didn't Christ, whenever he defeated the enemy of death, eradicate all death? Why are we living in this place of, as you say, in the devotional already, but not yet?
2: You know, the answer to these kinds of any why question, and Mm. I I mean, sort of say this tongue in cheek, but it's true. The answer is because that's the way God wanted to do it. (laughs) Why did God allow sin to enter the world? Mm -hmm. Why did God ordain that it is through sacrificial death? that sins are atoned for? Why did he send his son to die? Why, when he died, didn't he eradicate death once for all right then? You know, all these questions are essentially, you know, the bottom answer is because God and his wisdom, which is his thoughts are above our thoughts. Mm -hmm. His ways are not our ways. And so I don't want to presume to think that there could have been a better way. And so the why question is because God ordained it this way and, and there's something about the way he's doing it That in the end will make the most sense anybody could imagine uh, if we're able to see it, but also honors and glorifies him in a way that is above everything else. So, like, I believe that at a principle level. And so, this already but not yet tension in some ways helps us, I think, appreciate the story. I think living in the story and in the tension of the fact that Christ has defeated sin and death, and yet we still are experiencing sin and death and having to look toward a day in which it will be eradicated just living in that tension of that story i think allows us to appreciate the story
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, that god is telling through christ
3: mm-hmm.
1: i don't know why he hasn't eradicated death at his resurrection but i do know that his resurrection guarantees that death will be eradicated you know that there's the great the great chapter in the bible on resurrection is 1st corinthians 15 and listen to a couple of things that it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. That word firstfruits means he is the first part of the harvest, meaning more, more harvest is to come. So more resurrection is to come, in other words. For as by a man came death, through Adam came death, by a man also comes resurrection of the dead but each in his own order, Christ the fruits, so Christ's resurrection first, but then at his coming, those who belong to Christ will be resurrected. And then he says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. In other words, Jesus, I guess, has more work to do before he comes and all the rest are resurrected And then it says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so there's the promise. In a sense, he already has destroyed death in himself, but at the end, he will destroy death totally so that it no longer plagues humanity, no longer plagues the world. Yeah, there's something about the patience of
2: God that is woven into the storyline. Because the promise to deal with sin and and death comes in Genesis three. Mm. And then there's a lot of stuff after that. Back to the why question, I, there's just something about it. And I think part of it is the, there's a beauty of the story that God's telling that we get to appreciate. And then, you know, Peter says it is patience means salvation for mm-hmm. more. For more. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning there's just, there's a timeline involved in God redeeming a people for himself. And there's all kinds of formation in those people along the journey.
0: As we're imitating the, the life of Christ and, and looking at these themes in the life of Christ for this season, this one's a, a difficult one because it's Christ's sacrificial death. What can we derive from this aspect of Christ's life to emulate in our lives today?
1: By definition, we are, we are joined to Christ in his suffering and his death. It's actually one of the things that our baptism points to. Romans 6 says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him. How were we buried with him? By baptism into death. In order that, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. And so he goes on to say we've been united with him in his death so that we'd be united with him in his resurrection. And then he says, we know that our old self, our sinful nature was, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. What he's talking about is how the spiritual life works, right? The, the, the old sinful nature has to be put to death. And the reason is you can't reason with sin, right? You can't mm-hmm. coddle sin. You can't try to minimize sin. You can't put sin in a quarter, corner and say, it'll be okay. Sin is like mold, you know, if it's in the dark corners of your house, you can't just say, you know what, don't worry about it. It's just mold. It'll be, mm. we can't see it. It'll be fine. It has to be put to death. And so there's this crucifixion of our flesh, of our sinful nature, so that we can walk in newness of life. And because we're joined to Jesus, his death can become our death, but also his resurrection can become our resurrection, not just at the end of all things, like now. In in the way we live our our daily life. You can't have resurrection until you have death.
2: Yeah, this is why Paul personalizes it so strongly in the language of Galatians when he says, I've I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, right, but Christ who lives through me. You know, that that's intense language. Mm-hmm. You see it elsewhere in the New Testament writers. I mean, Paul, we we've talked about this in a previous episode, but Philippians three, Paul talks about wanting to know christ and the power of his resurrection and then he goes on and that i may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death Mm -hmm. in other words to to know the power of resurrection is going to involve deaths baptism becomes this daily metaphor a rhythm for life where i'm i'm constantly dying to self putting the old self to death so that i might experience the
1: power of resurrection there when they laid him in the tomb. Were you there? Were you? There?
0: that. And and thinking on those phrases, a death to self, or I also hear a lot of a living sacrifice in this daily walk as a Christian. Um, I'm very familiar with those terms, but how would y'all break those down for new ears? Like what do those mean in a practical sense?
3: I think of sacrifice as putting down, releasing something I think I may have the right to something that I may feel like I have some entitlement to. And it's, it's funny for me because I kind of chuckled when I was asked to uh, speak on this to- topic of death because one of the things I'm practicing during this Lenten season is I am trying to <laughs> um, fast from a perceived productivity that I think I am accomplishing And I'm fasting from that and fasting into rest in particular, going to bed by a certain time. And it is literally a daily thing because (laughs) I have to choose every single day, will I go to bed and in a sense, um, die to the day, die to my claim for what I think I can produce or Mm. die to just letting the day go. Whatever has occurred in that day however I judged it or judge myself in my performance, lack of performance um, in my productivity, I have to let that go to trust that it's okay. God's got it. And his mercies are new every morning, but in my flesh, I fight against that. I have found myself very resistant to going to bed by the time that I said I would I found myself trying to squeeze in ridiculous activities at the last minute, and it's this like painful war within myself to give up control to God.
1: Yeah, our natural self, the way the Bible talks about it, the flesh, this term the flesh just means our natural tendencies, our natural desires. Galatians 5 says those desires are opposed to God. Opposed to the things of God, opposed to the spirit of God. Um, The flesh is in opposition to the spirit. And in God's goodness, he has given us his spirit. He has inspired us, so to speak. Kind of like it's a retelling of Genesis 2-7. That's what it means to become a Christian, that we, he breathes new life into us and we're born again. We're born anew. We have his spirit in us and we can walk according to his spirit, but. The flesh is still hanging around Mm -hmm. these natural desires. And so Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Uh, Again, we can't just coddle the flesh and say, Mm -hmm. it'll be all right. If we're going to live in the spirit, which leads to life, we crucify the flesh, which is daily choices of saying no to ourselves, so to speak.
2: Yeah, the practice during Lent, which Karen referred to as fasting or giving something up, there's nothing magical or super right. spiritual about that. What it does is it reveals exactly how hard it is to walk in this daily dying to self. Mm-hmm. And so, if you, if you tend toward like, I'm not, a, I'm not a rule keeper, I don't care about rules at all. <laughs> so, Lent is really hard for me. You know, I've given up social media and phone games and just any kind of scrolling, mindless activity on the phone. But there are times where I literally have nothing to do. And I'll just think, well, I mean, that's not this the spirit of Lent is, you know, like this'll be a good time. I can do this right now. I'm constantly trying to justify the indulgence of my flesh. That's always there. Now, if you're like my wife and you care a lot about rules, you know, you you end up your the tendency will be to like really make the giving thing up a mark of your like righteousness. There's a performance, you know, and so. These two things are always at hand as we're thinking about dying to self. There's always self-justification, which is usually about indulging the flesh. There's always this kind of performance, got to measure up kind of thing. And, you know, just neither of those are what we're talking about. The reason the Christian life is hard is not because we don't have time or because we're distracted. It's because we don't want to die. We want to live to our desires. I want to scroll On the phone when i have nothing to do i want that um but to die to that is a whole different thing you know even than to resist it jesus comes and models for us a way of life that is that is truly dying so that we can take up this cross that he speaks of he says take up your cross and follow me and that's what he means he means you need to take up a way of life that is dying to the old desires of the flesh to self-justify to rationalize, to indulge, to put your desires front and center above all else. And, and instead, put the desires of God, put his kingdom above all else and find true life. It turns out, true life in Christ is way better than scrolling mm. Facebook.
1: I don't know. Who would have have
3: thought? I I think of the I think of uh, in Hebrews where um, says that you know Christ for the joy set before him endured the cross Mm -hmm. and scorning its shame all all of that all that he suffered because for the joy set before him I think this is what points to that true life that you're talking about Will right that we don't know because we are under the power of sin and death. We have no clue what that is. And the fact that he has walked through this life as a human being, has gone through everything that he's gone through for that joy, right? And part of that joy is reunion of us to God, to each other. There's this depth of how we were designed to be in union with Christ, but really in communion with The Trinity with each other that we have no clue. He has tasted it and he has walked through our experience to show us no, 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 that is so worth it. Like everything you think, scrolling, staying up late, partying, all these things you think are life giving, pales, pales in comparison. And the thing that you fear most, which is death, that is actually a doorway right it's it's i think about this like the end of one day as i die to my day literally falling asleep it is the beginning of his new mercies for the next day mm-hmm. i keep refusing it because i want to hold on to the past mm-hmm. because i know that i know it i don't know what tomorrow will bring and i think one of the biggest exercises in this practice of dying to ourselves is going back and believing his promises, believing that that ne- new day, what is to come, the not yet, is so much more glorious.
0: We're kind of touching on it here and there, but the hope that comes with the resurrection. Looking forward to Easter Sunday, how are you all contemplating the resurrection of Christ in this season as follows his death that we're talking about?
2: The resurrection both Christ raising from the dead, but also the hope of our resurrection is the motivating thing uh, when it comes to dying to self. There's all kinds of just, you know, good things in life that I want to do. The the tendency of the flesh or the cry of the flesh is to live as though this world is all we have. And so I've got to get and grasp and take and experience. I've got to travel to every place and experience every pleasure I can because this is it. Mm Mm-hmm. But the reality of resurrection assures me that this world is not all there is, and so I can lay down the desires of the flesh for the sake of the kingdom. Because, look, I may never go to Europe, but in the new heavens and new earth, I will have a long time to walk every inch of Europe and glorified Europe. It'll be better than it is now. That's kind of a silly example, but but to me, that is when I think about resurrection, life, and the hope of eternity, is really the main. Motivating force and that compels me to like lay down the desires of the flesh. Now,
1: I'm really anticipating Easter and and all that it means. I've I've been keenly aware of death lately. In my own family, we lost someone just yesterday that's dear to our family. In our own church, in the world with war and Ukraine and COVID and you know death is just. In our face. So when I think about Easter, I think about the contrast of the promises of Jesus to a world of death. Three times he says in John chapter six, listen to this. In John six, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, I will resurrect him. Then he says, just a few verses later, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I will raise those who believe in me up. A few verses later, he says this, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is the only one that we can give our full allegiance to who actually will give us life. You know, all these other things we give ourselves to take life from us, staying up late, scrolling, partying, all these things that we're, we're searching for life, we give ourselves to them. They take something from us. Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to take something from you. I'm going to give you life. My resurrection is not just a neat story that we tell one Sunday a year. It actually means your resurrection. Man, we have such great hope in the face of all the death that, that we're experiencing. So I'm longing for Easter and all that it means.
2: Yeah, if death is evidence that the world is not the way it's supposed to be resurrection is the promise that it will be set right. Mm -hmm. And if contemplating or meditating on our death helps us realize that there's no gain in the things of this world, to use Ecclesiastes language, that the things that we might chase or try to find life in, death is going to expose Mm -hmm. as emptiness. Resurrection is the promise that there is a treasure that never fades. There is a way to invest your life. And to to lay up treasures in heaven, to, to have substance and meaning that lasts for eternity, so uh, resurrection to me just it both answers the questions of why, uh, but also fuels our heart with with motivation. That is very
3: compelling to me because I think of um, having something to look forward to so much greater than what this world has offered. You know, it, it's a way of just allowing me to enter into the practice, the, the training for that day and all the days that will come after it. Right. I, I was thinking of the idea of like foretaste um, and thinking of the idea of how this life is, in a sense, a dress rehearsal for the life that God has for us. And if that's the case, I want to grow my desire for that day. I want to grow my sensitivity to be able to begin to taste what that life could look like. And the only way I can shape and form my palate or my appetite for that is through these practices of dying to myself and saying, I'm going to change my palate for what's tasty or attractive in this life and really reform my appetite for the things that is of substance.
1: Isaiah 25, which I mentioned at the beginning, where it talks about this veil over humanity, this covering cast over all peoples. Right after that, he says, but he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. That's the promise. How is death swallowed up? Well, Jesus swallowed it. He literally took it into himself. He he gulped it down and took the worst of it. And that's how he defeated death. It looked like death defeated him, but he was, and this is the great reversal in the gospel, he was defeating death by swallowing it. And then he gained victory over it. And so that's the hope of Easter, that the veil is going to be taken away. The shroud is going to be taken away because Jesus swallowed up death for us
0: very excited to worship and celebrate with y'all on Easter Sunday. Thank you so much for discussing death with me and for reframing it within this hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ. And it's been wonderful to take part of this podcast and to be in these conversations with you guys. Thank you.
2: This is me